Hi, I'm Rifka. And I'm Ida. Welcome to the From the Inside Out podcast. We are mompreneurs and friends who love connecting through meaningful conversations. It all started in an Uber, where we were both inspired by each other's life experiences. We decided then and there to create this platform because we believe in the power of connection and growth through sharing our experiences. Here we share research-backed tools, tips, and shortcuts, and interviews with some of our world's greatest thinkers, leaders, and everyday heroes who inspire us to create positive change in mind, body, and soul from the inside out. A few years ago, a family was featured on the Oprah show where she highlighted the Hasidic lifestyle and shared some of the beautiful customs and rituals. At the time, I didn't know who the family was. Um, more recently, I picked up a book called Your Awesome Self and I read it and I loved it. And then I made the connection. This is written by that same woman who Oprah visited years ago, which today has over a million hits on YouTube. So today we introduce you to Sharon Ginsburg, wife mother, grandmother, spiritual coach, and educator who has helped thousands of women find their courage, live with more serenity, possibility, and with less insecurity and resentment. One day, it hit Sterna that all the ingredients for transformation were in the 12 principles introduced by the Lubavitcher Rebbe in 1976, and she began establishing a program for emotional wellness, building on the 12 principles to share spiritual tools for energy. Her book is called Your Awesome Self, and it's a personal account of her own experience feeling like a backseat driver in her own life and how she let go of toxicity. In it, she offers deep insights that are based on Hasidus, and she makes them applicable to all of us. She has somehow managed to write a book that has so much depth, but is also easy to read. The late Rabbi Dr. Tversky wrote the foreword of her book, stating... All those interested in authentic spiritual tools for emotional wellness will find clarity and encouragement in this book. Rabbi Tversky, well, that speaks for itself. I feel like she is one of our everyday heroes that we talk about. Um, someone who really, you know, lives by the principles and walks the walk. And I'm so inspired after this conversation. I can't wait to share it. Yeah, and... and- You'll hear in the conversation, just knowing that Sterna has also been through her own journey and has come to this place of feeling awesome is so inspiring. Um, So enjoy the conversation. And before we get there, we just wanted to share a little bit of feedback with you because we have received so much awesome feedback. Um, It's so meaningful and it really inspires us to continue. We love what we do and we love hearing that you enjoy it too and that it it inspires you in your life okay so i'll read one one of our reviews this one this review is titled social media podcast so i we, we had recently done a podcast on social media um this that podcast was great ida can't wait to try the no devices in bedroom idea and it was so fantastic how you ended the podcast with rabbi jonathan Sachs's wisdom thank you for sharing your thoughts and knowledge well, thank you so much. Uh, we don't know who it's from, but it's titled Social Media Podcast. And we're glad you enjoyed that episode. And we look forward to sharing many more um, episodes with you. It's nice to meet you. It's such a pleasure Hi. to meet you. Same. I'm really excited to be here with you. We're really excited to have you too. Actually, our episode right before this was all about self-help. 
And we were very much looking forward to getting Hasidic insight into self-help and self-discovery. It's interesting because as a health coach, I often discuss with my clients how our physical bodies and the way we look is not what makes us beautiful and that the awesome part of us is all from within. And that's the title of our, our podcast, From the Inside Out. And when this has come up, more than one of my clients has said, you know, this whole concept reminds me of the book, Your Awesome Self. You've got to go out and get it. And so I went, yeah, I went out to get it on Kingston Avenue. And when I was in there, I said to the owner of the shop, is this book popular? And he said, very popular. And it was, there was a beautiful young lady buying your book. And I went and bought it for myself and for my sister. And I see exactly why my clients recommended it. So we wanted to discuss Aww. your awesome self with you today. <laughs> so can you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us how you got to where you are today in becoming your awesome self? Um, which is the title of the book. Wow. <laughs> okay, thank you so much for that beautiful introduction. I'm very, very humbled. Yeah, so I'll share with you how I got here. I used to really believe that all the power in the world was outside of myself. It was with other people. They had the power to define me, to make me good, bad, or ugly, or anything in between. My circumstances had the power to define me. And I saw myself kind of as a backseat rider, where I was being pulled along in life, life was happening. And all I can do is just try to do my best and kind of at least appear functional, but inside it didn't, it didn't match up. And I thought, I didn't realize that everybody else has the same kind of struggle. And one day I really started making that connection. I write about this in the book at length, but just in a nutshell, I started making the connection between God's awesomeness and the fact that his presence within me makes me awesome. And today it sounds so simple, but back then I didn't make that connection at all. And it hit me over a period of time after coming to value God on a personal level, on a deeper level, it helped me realize that if he is the supreme overarching value in the universe, then my worthiness is untouchable and unchangeable by anyone or anything. And it gave me so much strength and courage. And that's why I call it your awesome self, because each of us has a part of God within us. And the more we value God, the more we value and the more awesomeness we attribute to him, the more we value that part of ourselves and the more awesome we realize we are. And that's our inner wealth. So there was a point in which you realized that you have God within you. And then you, that's when the shift began. Was there like a moment where you remember feeling, now I get it? Or was it a process, like over time? It's interesting because I always knew that I have a part of God within me. I learned it in kindergarten right. and before I was in kindergarten. So the real shift happened, first of all, when I started becoming aware of the impact of my beliefs on my life. I would say that was part one, that I realized that through my beliefs and through my perceptions, that was impacting how I felt and how I engaged in my life. And then it wasn't so much knowing that I have a soul because I always knew that it was holding up my beliefs to the light of that truth and realizing that I had so many lies, that I believed so many lies about myself. That voice inside my head that was so critical and so disgusting, <laughs> if I can use that word, Absolutely. was actually a liar. Yeah. You knew it all along. You knew that you had a soul and a part of God within you, but how did you actually make it practical 
you, you, you write in your book about visualizing it. How did you visualize it and how did you make it practical for yourself? I guess that was part of the way that you changed and were able to really connect to that is by making it tangible and practical for you. Yeah. So what it was, was that first I started, I'm going to say meditating, but I'm using the word meditating because I would just think deeply about concepts. I was learning about God through the writings of the Bahatanya, of the Alter Rebbe. And they were totally not practical, those ideas. And they were totally, I didn't find any relevance to my life, but it was immersing my mind It was like seeing the world through the lens of the Alter Rebbe, through the lens of God's truth. And I would walk out of that learning, and because it was so intense, it was still on my mind. And then I would hear myself criticizing myself, or I would hear myself criticizing one of my kids, either one, both the same. And I would be like, whoa, all of a sudden, in the light of God's truth, my lies became glaringly obvious. Whereas before then, I just took it as part of life. You know, this is a fact. This is how we talk. This is how we think. This is how we engage. I didn't realize it was a lie. The challenge that we have is not so much a lack of information. It's believing lies. It's having, it's holding on to information that's not true. And, And we won't realize that it's not true because we really will take it as fact unless we have enough attachment to truth we will be attached to our lies. It's only right. in the light of truth that we, get, that we can start to recognize that those ideas are not true. But how do we make that actually practical is by applying it, by literally walking through the process and asking ourselves questions like, so what does this mean? What difference does this idea make to my life? What difference does it make to this challenge that's on my plate right this minute? Just by asking ourselves the question, we're making God relevant. Without that, God is not relevant because we believe our lies more than we believe God's truth. You know what I mean? But by asking ourselves the question, we bump into our resistance. Let me give you an example. We love examples. (laughs) I was once giving a class about this and a woman came back. It was a workshop and she came back the next week and she was in her 40s. And she said she never realized there was a critic living inside her head. She never even heard that voice, never even, never even realized that all that negativity that she was feeling in her heart was a voice inside her own head. The truth is that I was not much younger when I also had that awareness, you know? So a a practical example of what this looks like is, let's say, you know, you learn about the angels, that God's light is infinite and that God's light is so big, or we're coming to, to Pesach, right? To the holiday of liber- celebrate, we celebrate our freedom from Egypt. And we learned that at that moment of the exodus from Egypt, God's light was manifest in a tremendous way. And, and that gave us freedom. That was the freedom. So then if I have that idea in my head, I'm walking through my day and I hear myself say, I must do this, right? All of a sudden, what do you mean you must do this? You just said you're free. What do you mean you must do this? You become sensitive to the language you're using only because you have a a truth that is absolute. You had actually mentioned something in your book, like making things, visualizing Hashem's light. Yeah. And that way you can visualize it within yourself. Like you even gave an example of a certificate and the light coming out of the certificate that you're you're, your awesome self. Yeah. So I thought that was another good example of how to make light practical. Like how do we actually visualize this light that we have? Thank you. 
Thank you for reminding me that. Yeah, because visualizing it makes it tangible. You know, I would visualize God walking into the room and, you know, standing up for me, <laughs> you know, supporting me, cheering me on, literally. It, it really helped me a lot. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of research behind the power of visualization and making things real by initially just visualizing it. Visualizing the goals that we have helps us get to that place. How, Like for our listeners, how would you suggest, like, do you suggest that people should just come up with their own creative way to visualize this light? So different people are learn differently. I think for people who have, who are visual learners, we don't have to tell them how to visualize. Meaning if you, when you learn an idea, a picture comes up in your mind, right? And I want to encourage you to, your listeners to paint that picture in your mind. Let your mind wander. Don't keep it into the abstract. Let your mind develop your own idea, your own understanding, your own conception of what these ideas look like in real time and in your life. So let your mind wander. Don't, you know, my visualization is what I came up with, but it might not be meaningful to you. But if you're a visual learner, let your mind run with the ideas. What is God's light? You know, we talk about God's light being present in the matzah that we're going to eat. It's an infusion of God's, it has an infusion of godly energy in the matzah that we eat. Wow, what does that look like? What does that look like to you? I love that you're giving people permission to do it in their own way because everyone experiences things differently. So I feel like to what you said, Rifka, like when we asked, like, how do you do something? So we have to kind of figure out what's the best way for us to, to do this so that we can connect in the way that we the way that we're able to. You know, on that note, a lot of times people say, What what should I tell my husband? You know, what should I tell my boss? <laughs> Tell me the words. You just said it because I'll, I'll like play out the, 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 the conversation. I'm like, you know, well, the way you said it is so good. You know, tell me exactly. I want to write it down. And I'm like, you know, I can tell you what to say, but that's not going to be your words. You know, you, you can tell somebody how to walk when they're wearing high heels and a beautiful gown, or you can have them try on the gown and put on those elegant shoes and then you don't have to tell them how to walk because they get it. They're, they're in it. And right. if I tell you the words, or if I tell you what to visualize, that won't help you when, in, when you're in your kitchen, when you're in your bedroom, dealing with your own pain and your own struggles. You, the, the key to accessing your inner wisdom is holding onto it. It's not taking somebody else's visualization because that's a shortcut. My point is that we got to process the truth. We have to let it wash through our system in order to make a difference to our practical lives. That's how we make it practical, by taking it in, by not letting it be abstract. When I was in high school, and I know I, it's out there still today, people will repeat a teaching of the Rebbe or a teaching of Hasidus. And when you ask them, what does that actually mean? They're like, I don't know. So basically, like, we're so comfortable with saying things that we have no clue what the blank we're talking about. What did you just say? What, what, what does that look like in real life? When we take the time to actually process it, so to make it internal, we have to internalize it. And any external shortcuts might work for a minute, but it won't change us on a deeper level. That's... Wow. The minute you said external shortcuts, I was thinking those are the, many of the self-help books that I've read in the past. Like there's this list of things that you should do. And 
sometimes that precludes you from really experiencing and delving deeply into something that you might not fully understand and letting yourself experience it. Have you had a a journey in the self-help world? Like, have you read self-help books? And also, I just want to know the role of Tanya and Hasidus in your journey of self-improvement and becoming your awesome self. So I've never heard the word self-improvement in Hasidus doesn't talk about self-improvement at all. It talks about how to show up as our best possible self with our neshama shining brightly, like owning our true self. I think that's a very big difference because a lot of the self, and I did read many self-help books. And I believe that, you know, I, I learned, I always say it's worth reading a book. If I gained one thing from it, it was worth reading the book. I treat myself to books like other people treat themselves maybe to a bar of chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I love that. A lot of books gave me language that helped me understand Hasidus better. Right. And I think that the way we're learning Hasidus and the way we're teaching Hasidus, it's like there's a separation between church and state where there's a separation between my avodas Hashem, my service of God, and my and my emotional wellness. And that is the biggest, I would say it's a tragedy because we're not giving our kids the tools that they deserve, the birthright, that their emotions matter, that their emotions are not a distraction from what matters more, but that their emotions and dealing with their emotions, and for us as adults, it's also dealing with our emotions are not a distraction from getting on with the real important stuff of our lives. You know, dealing with our emotions is the purpose. That's what we're here for. We're here to let God make a difference in this world. And, you know, we talk about Geula being a time when the whole world will be filled with awareness of God. We need our own hearts and minds to know God. And how can we know God and how can we let God make a difference in our hearts if we see our hearts as a distraction from what really matters? And we teach Hasidus you know, the whole Tanya is translated as doing mitzvahs and being a Benoni, doing mitzvahs and not doing Averas. That's, that's how I learned Tanya. And it could be that many people learn Tanya differently today. But Tanya is not about, if we teach Tanya like that, then no, Hasidus has nothing to offer in terms of emotional wellness at all. It, to me, Tanya in a nutshell is how to align with our inner awesomeness, how to, how to own it how to identify with it, and how to, how to embrace our human fragility, you know, our human weaknesses and our human dimension, how to embrace it, how to love ourselves for who we are, and how to show up with our best possible self. How do I get there from Tanya to the Alter Rebbe? Being a tzaddik means absolute alignment with Hashem. Being a Benini means somebody who wants to be aligned with Hashem, but who has so many distractions and so many compulsions and so many and 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 so much inherent, you know, emotional struggle and maybe even trauma and and toxicity and external forces that pull us away from being the person we want to be. That's who the Alter was talking to. It's you. It's me. It's it's all of us. And if we and- learn Tanya that way, then then we're rich. That's the point you're trying to bring across in your book when we read it. And but I'm a work in progress. And I'm working toward my awesome self. So in today's challenging world, how can we live without stress, resentment, and anxiety? Wow. A big question. Yeah. 
So I think this is what we've been talking about, that we really need to have, we need to be a person. We need to be a self and we need to have that. And we need to be a strong self and a courageous self and a resilient self. And then we, re- we need to realize that stressful, what stress is really when our desired version of reality crashes with actual reality, right? I'm in traffic and I'm supposed to be there. Whoops, that's stressful. And that's on a very simple level. You know, I, I want this in my marriage and I have that. That's very stressful. I want, I want to buy something and I don't have the money. That's, that's stressful, right? So stress is when our desired version of reality clashes with actual reality. So that's each one of these words that you're saying are a different category. Um, resentment is when, you know, I believe that somebody has the power to ruin my life or to ruin my day. And all of these attitudes are prevalent in the world that we live in. So we're going to be swept into it. They're also not just prevalent in the world around us. They're also part of how we, how we are naturally wired. We're naturally wired to be stressed and to feel resentment and to feel hurt. The goal is not to avoid them. And I, you know, if our goal is to be completely peaceful and serene all the time, you know, then we end up hating ourselves. Because that's not a realistic goal. It's, a, it's so self-destructive to have that as a goal. When we can embrace the challenge, embrace the reality that, yes, there will be stressors, there will be anxiety, there's good reason to be anxious, there's good, you know, if you're intelligent, you're going to be anxious, you're going to be frustrated at times, you're going to feel, and if you're sensitive, you're going to be hurt. So the question is not how to avoid feeling that way. The question is, how do I come back to my center? How do I come back to my self? How do I come back to my place of strength when I will be impacted and pulled away, you know, pulled into the stress, the misery, the resentment, what I call otherness? How do I come back into, you know, my awesome self? And when, we, and when that's our goal, it's a different set of tools. When does stress become pathological? When does anxiety become pathological? When we're feeling stressed about our stress, when we're anxious about our anxiety, that takes our anxiety to a destructive level. So we could embrace the fact that the anxiety is here by God's design. It's okay. The thoughts, the negative thinking, this is how God created me with the tendency to be self-destructive in my mind. And that's okay. I don't have to, you know, it's like you wake up in the morning and you don't like your body. What are you going to do? You're going to beat yourself up. <laughs> if, you, if you have this thought in your head that you can will yourself into a more beautiful self physically, you will wake up in the morning and beat yourself up. If you think that you can get a skinnier body or a healthier body by beating yourself up enough, you'll beat yourself into oblivion. Till you're black right. and blue. I mean, God forbid. We we can't hate ourselves for feeling anxious. We have to embrace it and recognize that it's our friend. It's there to help us. Right. In, it's a teacher. It's it's our it's 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 a teacher exactly. It's the light that shows us where we need to shine, where we need to shine God's light, and let that light make a difference, or where we need to dig deeper into ourselves and find strength inside of ourselves and with that with with finding that strength inside of ourselves first of all with trusting that we will find the strength trusting that we have it in us to be okay 
that we will be okay and we have it in us to be okay, just trusting that process is already inherently a peaceful way of living. Right. And just to take it a step further, maybe to bring in another example, you were, you were talking about sensitive people. If someone triggers us um, or says something hurtful, it, it can set us off. And sometimes it can be relatively minor, but we can have very intense emotions. Um, who knows where it's a trigger from, from the past, or that person actually said something hurtful. What can be done in these situations besides what you had just said now to accepting that, okay, this is going to happen. Someone, someone is hurting me. I've reacted and I'm looking at it as, at it as a teaching lesson. What is that teaching lesson? What would my awesome self do? I love this question because so many people look at sensitivity as a disability. And that is so tragic because in the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe says that our human dimension is directly proportionate to our godly self. That means if I am sensitive, if I, eat, if I have intense emotions, that means I also have an intense godly soul. That's the biggest That's good compliment. to know. I'm really glad because I'm one of those sensitive people. <laughs> it's, it's, yes. So if you have intense oh. emotions, I call it a very person. You know, when I'm happy, I'm very happy. When I'm sad, I'm very sad. You know what I mean? That's, I, I, I know what it's like because I'm that way too. And I used to think it's a disability almost because it could be disabling. Right. If that, if I don't have the tools, then it could be disabling. But it's so validating to know that. The Alter Rebbe says this in, I think, Paragvav and Tanya's opening lines for talking about the human dimension, he's like, it's parallel. Whatever strength we have in our godly soul, we have in our human dimension. So if I have intense human emotions, I've got an intense godly light. And that's so, it's just so validating. So where do I go with that when I'm intense, when I'm hurt? It's really the same thing. I, I, I turn inward. We could do this in two ways, actually. First of all, um, I'm a very big believer in proactive strengthening. That would be like exercise or eating healthy, right? Because that's nice. where we build strength. I, yes. I, I often tell the story of, it's an it's a analogy of the guy from Chelm who goes to the big city and there he sees they have this magical instrument where when there's a fire, they ring the bell and all of a sudden water and buckets and people appear in an organized form and the fire gets put out in two minutes. And this guy from Chelm orders the bell and he installs it in the center of town in Chelm. And he tells everybody the next time there's a, there's a fire, don't do anything. We just have to ring the bell and everything will be okay. And of course- I love that. <laughs> I love Chelm story. Yeah. <laughs> so the fire starts, he rings the bell and he's like, wait, just a minute, in seconds, you know, half a second, everything's going to be okay. Water is going to come. And of course, nothing happens. And he goes back to the city and he complains, you sold me a lemon, you didn't sell me the real thing. And of course, it's so silly because it's not the, the bell that puts out the fire. The bell triggers the system that puts out the fire. That's a great analogy. So, so the, the Alter Rebbe talks a lot about the importance of Das, where we internalize and build up a system of connection between our mind and our heart. And we have to do that in a proactive way. Every day when we say Moda'ani in the morning, we're building awareness of the value of our soul, of the value of who we are. And so we face the day 
aware that we are carriers of God's light. And, and when we do that over time, so then when I'm hurt, I just have to ring the bell and I, and all that work that I've done comes to the forefront of my consciousness. And I have a healing force within me that can carry me through the hurt, not just carry me through it, but help me heal from it. And I don't even have to make the other person into a bad person. I just have to bring up my own healing. Hasidus works, but I feel that in our generation, Hasidus is like the bell. You know, we've been given the bell. We've been, given, we've been given the bell and the system. But we are, we get so stuck on that silly bell. And then, you know, we're, we're, we're running around saying Hasidus does not have real tools. We're not working it, is my personal uh, experience. Hasidus gives us a set of tools. And that set of tools, within that set of tools, I think the most primary, um, if I could summarize the Tanya in a nutshell, if anybody could, it's like start valuing God in a real way, in a practical way. And with that, you will value your godly self in a real way, in a practical way. And you'll recognize the value of every single moment here and now being in the present the, the value of this moment and the value of this choice is bigger than anything else that could ever be. So we don't get stuck in our past. We don't get stuck in our future. We're living here, owning our beautiful self and showing up in the best way that we can. That's, uh, to me, a summary of the Tanya. But the bell of the Tanya would be just say, be a Bainini or like study more chassidus or you know, do the external motions without the internal process of really internalizing the value of who we are and what our life is about. Making it practical when a situation comes up, like yes. we can have it in our minds. How do we show up with that awesome self? So how does my awesome self show up and how does my awesome self respond to a sense to when my system has been triggered and I'm feeling really hurt and really down and really out. So mm -hmm. first of all, my awesome self knows that this is going to pass and that I, I, it's going to pass and I will be okay, even though I'm really feeling messed up right now. My awesome self will give myself the space and the time to reflect on how I'm feeling, to validate the fact that I am hurt. My mind will pick up my heart and hug it and um, embrace it wow, and, and, and talk to it with love and compassion and sensitivity. And then from that place of internal real validation, I'll listen out for, okay, so what, so that person said whatever they said, or this terrible thing happened, whatever it was that happened, what label am I wearing right now? What label landed? How do I see myself in this moment? I once had, uh, I recently, not once, I'm going to share an example of how I did this, okay? I had a very disappointing experience, very, very disappointing experience in my personal life and a very close relationship. And I was, I did this process, you know, really being kind to myself, being gentle to myself, being compassionate. And then I asked myself this question. When I had time, I was very busy for three days. I didn't even have time to, to think, but this was, I was kind of 
you know, dragging along my pain wherever I went. But the first time I had a chance to really sit down and give myself space, I, I didn't make time that day, but I asked myself, what do I believe about myself right now in, in the context of this disappointment, in the context of this very painful situation? And I realized that I saw myself as a failure, as a faker, because here I am teaching about joy and I'm feeling so much pain. And then I, I, I said, what, what, that's not a faker. You're doing your best and it's okay to have, and I had to like really talk myself through how to let go of that perception that I had of myself because it's not the situation itself that was pulling me down more than anything. What was pulling me down was my vision of myself as a failure and a faker. And once I faced that and look at, looked at it and had a let my, my heart was feeling like a failure, right? I had to talk to it from the place of compassion and explain to myself why I was actually not a failure, why I was not a faker. I, I liberated myself from those labels and I realized that those labels didn't belong to me. It wasn't the truth. In the light of Hashem's reality, how Hashem designed the world, it's okay to have pain and you're not, not being joyous dealing with your pain. One of the leading, no, I think the foremost leading researcher on happiness today, Tal Ben-Shahar, he mentioned a few times that he often wakes up not feeling happy and it doesn't in any way mean that he's not qualified because if anything, it's precisely the fact that someone who works on happiness and teaches happiness to other people, um, the fact that they experience pain makes them able to connect in a way that maybe other people wouldn't, if that makes sense. So I think that it's like the imposter syndrome, people feeling like, well, if I can't be consistent in this, then who am I to teach it and who am I to share it? When it's precisely that part of us that makes us be able to connect. Yeah, it makes um, a lot of sense because I know that if I wouldn't struggle in the dark, I wouldn't know the dark and I wouldn't right. know the way out of it. It's only because <laughs> I struggle that I know how to, I can help others who are struggling. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do want to say that sometimes when I'm having a really long, good stretch, I don't ever fall as low as I used to because I have these tools. So I won't be depressed for right. three weeks. I'll do it after three days. You know what I mean? Right. And I, I don't fall as low and I get out quicker. So I feel very grateful to Hashem for keeping me um, in the game. Um, obviously, nobody should have pain. I don't either want to have, I want everyone to have only good revealed good. And I want my painful situations in my life to be healed like everybody else's. At the same time, I know that dealing with my pain is helping me be able to really relate to others with compassion because you could forget the darkness because the light is right. so good. You could forget the darkness and the hell of it. Yeah. And also somehow you even, you share this in your book that when you go through the pain, it's an opportunity to bring a deeper beauty, like a beauty out of yourself that you didn't know you had. Yes. And I found that very helpful because I was going through something painful uh, as I was reading your book. And I, I, I like this opportunity of, oh, I can bring something deeper out of myself that I didn't know that I had. I have this opportunity. I really like wow. that you shared that. Wow. We have a mental health crisis going on and a lot of people are reaching rock bottom. And I wonder like, if there's a way to teach 
what you're sharing, not everybody is experiencing intense struggle, but even like for the minor ones, like the little struggles to not have to wait until things get so much worse before you tap into these amazing gems that we have available. Children are innocent and young. Let's give them the tools that they can use before they they hit rock bottom. Yeah. Why do you think people seek help or, or somehow tune into their best selves or give themselves this opportunity. That's where the opportunity lies when they hit rock bottom. Because change is very uncomfortable and we're not willing to endure the, the discomfort unless we're desperate enough. That's really yeah. why people need to hit rock bottom in order for them to change. But I, I agree with you that it would be so amazing if we could bring up that rock bottom um, because yeah. as a society, we tolerate stress, misery, resentment. Um, we tolerate it, meaning we normalized it. And there's no conversation about it. There's only conversation about those, quote unquote, fringe people who are, you know, totally, you know, depre- depressed or dysfunctional, etc. There's no conversation about how we, each of us is struggling every single day to yeah. show up with joy and to and to and to fight off the negativity that constantly bombards us in our world and i think that we can give that language to our children if we could we would be preventing a lot of trauma because yeah. so much of the trauma is about emotional neglect and so much of the trauma is about not having tools at all not having any tools to deal with our emotions so we have to bring this conversation to the everyday teacher, to yes. the everyday classroom, to the everyday mother, to our language as people. It should just be normal to say, I'm having a hard day, but I'm okay. Yeah. Uh, and appropriate to the timing of the year now, the Pesach is coming our way. One of your principles is that in every generation, we come out of Mitzrayim, like the Jews came out of Mitzrayim way back then. Can you share some tools on how we can come up out of our own personal Mitzrayim and get out of our old set ways and make real change that we feel we want to, but we can't seem to do. How can we free ourselves? How can we change? How can we get out of ourselves? Okay, so the 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 food of the of the of the festival, the food of Pesach is matzah, and matzah symbolizes bittel, which is very misunderstood. Bittel is usually translated as make yourself into uh, nothing. Where really, if you read in the Tanya, the Baal, the Alter Rebbe's translation of Bittel is that the opposite of Bittel is Davar Nifrad Bifnei Atzmai, seeing yourself as someone separate and self-sufficient outside of Hashem's presence. So Bittel is really seeing ourselves as a reflection of God's light in this world, a carrier of God's light in this world. And Matzah represents bittel. Matzah, the food of of the hour is bittel. Which is humility for, for our listeners that don't know what bittel is. I'm translating it not as humility, but as oh. awareness of our deeper truth. Awareness of our true self. Bittel is mm-hmm. awareness of our true self. Awareness of the truth that we are carriers of God's light. Because mm-hmm. the opposite of bittel, the opposite of this awareness I, I say this as Bittel is the mindset of I am here in this world by God, with God, for God. Whereas ego 
to me is when I don't have this true self of who I am and what my life is about, I need to create a, a, a version of myself. I need to create an identity. I need to create a value. And that's ego. Ego is by myself, with myself, for myself, because I am stuck within myself. And so when you're talking about Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim is not the problem. Being stuck in Mitzrayim is the problem, right? So having anxiety is not the problem. Being stuck in anxiety is our challenge. Or having, you know, fear or depressing thoughts or even any anything that we have feeling unworthy is not the problem it's being stuck in that it's being attached to that belief that that gets us you know that gets us stuck that's our that's when we become slaves to it when we're stuck within it and the only way out is recognizing that we are bigger than ourselves we are not our ego we're bigger than ourselves the more we attach to god and the more we let his truth matter more and be more definitive of who we are and what reality is, more than what we might think initially, that's how we get out of Mitzrayim. If we take care of our spiritual health, will we eventually, by association, take care of our mental and physical health as well? Does one lead to another? I believe that, yes, one leads to another, but only depends how you translate spiritual health. If spiritual health means prayer and only doing every, you know, the organized religion kind of part of it, then absolutely not. <laughs> but if spiritual health means internalizing the value of who you are, internalizing the value of actually your body, then of course you're going to want to also take care of your body because that's part of how we live. There was a story of a chassid in the previous generations who used to sleep on a bench every single night as a way of, he wanted to make his body not so important. And towards the end of his life, he was so physically weak that he could not put on tefillin. And he said, if only I would have not hurt my body all these years for one more day of putting on tefillin it would have been worth it to not do all that, you know, hurting my body. Yeah. So people said about him that he needed to negate his body in order to have that appreciation for the one day of putting on to fill in. In our generation, we already have that. We don't need to negate our bodies to appreciate the value of a mitzvah. We need to appreciate God's value and the value of our soul and that will, and, and, and when we do, of course we appreciate our body. Of course we appreciate the importance of taking care of our physical selves. And that's why, you know, sometimes I look at, you know, self-care became a buzzword. I'll, I see a lot of people invest themselves in self-care and they still have so much frustration and anger and negative energy. They don't radiate peace, even though they spend an hour a day on self-care. And I think it's because self-care out of context of your deeper self is, is like, you know, it's like putting money into a, a, a pocket that has a big hole on the bottom of it. We right. first need to be a self. We need to know that we are a gorgeous self because it's not about being that it's becoming aware that we already are gorgeous and owning right. that gorgeousness and being present with it living from the place of that beauty 
of that strength of that of that light from there of course we got to take care of our body because we need our bodies to reflect that light beautiful thank you for that i love what you just said i like that you also said that yes we need to take care of our bodies that actually leads me to the next question because often people who end up feeling guilty about taking care of their bodies and they wonder if it's too physical but in the way that you put it it that makes it so much more meaningful and deep and spiritual that one should not feel guilty about taking care of their body when it's when it's done for the right purpose and or when it, it leads to you being a beautiful person from the inside out right and on the subject of guilt uh you had written in your book, there's nothing holy about guilt. And many of us have guilt, whether it's about taking time out for ourselves or not being a good enough wife or mother, et cetera, or friend. Do you have any practical tools for working through for the feeling of guilt? Yes. So thank you for bringing that up because it is a very big issue, especially as Jewish women. We always notice in the spotlight of our minds, always zooms in on what needs to be fixed rather than what is going well. And then we blame ourselves for all the things that are broken and, and that are not perfect. So the Rebbe gives us a very clear prescription for how to understand the voices and how to, how to understand which of our emotions and um, which of our beliefs are healthy and productive and which are destructive. And he says that anything, if it gives you the strength to show up with your beautiful self shining forth, it's your neshama and go with it. If it's a thought that's making you get, feel stuck, inhibited, you know, getting in, like getting into bed with a pillow over your head, you just can't show up. You feel disempowered. That is the signature of the Yitzhahara. So for me, because I believe that very, very strongly, that the signature of the Yitzhahara is therefore disappear. Therefore, avoid. Therefore, you cannot show up. Therefore, be sorry for yourself. I believe that that's the signature of the Yitzhahara. So to me, that's like looking at a bottle and seeing that it's poison. What tools do you have in your arsenal of tools to not drink poison? You don't need any tools to not drink poison. The minute you know it's poison, you're not going to drink it. We have to recognize that guilt is poison. Shame is poison. Anything that takes us away and from our being our best selves, from feeling empowered, from owning our dignity, our respectability, our beautiful light, it's poison. And if we can right. recognize that, then we don't need any tools. It's just, oh, I, I, I don't drink poison. It can show up for us. And that's, I mean, that's part of life, especially women who have so much going on. And there's always going to be this pull, you know, pulling effect between kids and work and everything we're doing. But shame is toxic. It's, it's a toxic emotion that will show up. But once we learn its nature, we can deal with it accordingly. Remember, this is not helping us in any way. It's toxic. Why would we ingest it if it's toxic? It's easier we have said to than done. Through the process. Yeah. It's easier said yeah. than done. And also, sometimes we have guilt or shame because we have actually made a mistake. Um, and in, you're saying instead of feeling guilty or having shame over it, to really, like you had said earlier, kind of sit with it and accept it and um, look at it as a teaching or learning experience rather than delve in the guilt. Well, every lie has a kernel of truth. 
So <laughs> if my Yetzirah is coming with me and inviting me to drink poison of shame and guilt, it's probably going to have a shiny label that's going to look true. And that might be that I did make a mistake. Before I owned my awesomeness, before I really felt like a good person inside, I couldn't take responsibility for my mistakes. If somebody criticizes, criticized me, I, I fell apart and there was nothing left. And all of myself was busy protecting myself from the enemy, which is the person who destroyed me just now, right? But once right. I had a core that could not be destroyed and cannot be touched then I could accept criticism, including I could accept responsibility for my mistakes without falling apart. And I will move forward and the world will be okay. When, you, when we're pointing fingers, it's this person's fault, it's that person's fault, it's because of that circumstance that, that I'm feeling this way. And we're like walking in a minefield. And the question, what is my role? What is my responsibility here? What can I do? That I think is where inner freedom starts. If we know that Nothing anyone else says or does can, can change our sense of self-worth. I think that's inner freedom. You could say this and it hurts, but it does not in any way reflect on who I am as, as a person. Yeah, yeah, I think it's also powerful that you say that once you tapped into your awesome self, you were able to accept criticism, whereas before you right. couldn't. Because you were able to recognize, yeah, okay, um, you're critiquing me and, and maybe there's truth to that but I still know the awesome part of myself and I'm going to learn from this, even though maybe it wasn't done the way it should have been done, or maybe I didn't do my part. I'm still awesome and I can grow and change as well. I love what you said about freedom, because to me, this is the bottom line. This is the name of the game of life that we have this, you know, we have, we're carriers of God's light, light and our mission in this world is to know it, to show it, to ourselves, to our children, to our families. And then we also have this force of darkness, if I can call it that, the Yetzirah, that tries to make us unaware of, it's an internal force of distraction and delusion that kind of blocks us from seeing who we are and what our mission in life is all about. And all this stuff that we're talking about, the guilt, the resentment, the misery, the stress, our different tactics, um, from from the Yetzirah to distract us from doing our part. Somebody showed me recently a fascinating answer from the Rebbe, where the Rebbe wrote that one of the effective strategies of the Yetzirah in our generation is, and the Rebbe wrote in English, self-pity. Wow. You know, when wow. we start feeling sorry for ourselves, because how do we, how, how can we feel sorry for ourselves? It's only when we feel alone, when we feel rejected, at our core, when we feel dismissed, when we feel like failures, when we feel like stuck in our, in, in, in our circumstances, in our relationships, that's when we start feeling sorry for ourselves. But the minute we own our dignity, our worthiness, our respectability, our self, we're free and, and we're never stuck. And we don't have to feel sorry for ourselves. We could be in pain, but we don't have to feel sorry for ourselves because who we are is always so much bigger and more precious than anything that would make us feel sorry for ourselves. Yeah. When you're feeling lonely or when you're feeling stuck, when that ever happens to you, and like you said, it's only for short periods now because you have the tools, but do you have a mentor or someone that you look up to to turn to? I do. I have a mashpia. I do. 
Um, and my mashpia is a very good friend who, um, it's a shared friendship. So I'm very, very blessed. And I think that every person needs at least one person who knows you well and accepts you and embraces you and even loves you no matter what, no matter what they know about you. Um, because so much of the shame in our, we, we, we associate pain with shame just because in American society, joy and happiness is idealized as a goal yeah. um, in and of itself. So somehow if I'm in pain, there's something shameful about it. And being able to talk about it takes away the shame. There's yeah. no shame. If you yeah. can talk about it, you're already not in, not in a place of shame. So yeah, I do, I do appreciate nice. having that. That's, be, that's great. And in the world in general, do you have mentors or people that you look up to that you would want to share with us on this platform that we can turn to too in general? I listen to Rabbi Shays Taub. Taub. I love his yeah. work. I listen to Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. I, I loved learning Tanya from Rabbi Naftali Silberberg. I found, I found him very, very clear and just very helpful. And honestly, nice. I, I read every book I could get my hands on. Like you just mentioned, if I listen to it again, if I listen to the recording and, and there's going to be a name of a book mentioned, I'm like, I'm going to go and get that book because I love reading. So the world is my teacher, honestly. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And you know what? Everyone listening to this podcast is going to go out and get your awesome self by Sharon oh. Ginsburg. <laughs> um, well, and to conclude, we wanted to do this little uh, cute little task. If you can finish some sentences for us. Okay. My favorite thing to do for self-care is? Talking to a very good friend, having a good nice. laugh. My definition yeah. of success is? If I showed up with awareness of God, that's to me successful. Beautiful. Beautiful. I feel most alive when? When I'm learning Hasidus and maybe even more when I'm teaching Hasidus. We hope to be a student of yours sometime to hear oh. this. Well, we already are. <laughs> yeah, right um, now. Uh, the best compliment I received was? When someone told me that I have the kind of compassion that my father had. That was the best compliment I, I received. My father's a very compassionate, kind uh person he only knew love and uh so that was my best compliment sounds like he was one of your role models too it's beautiful oh, yeah. yeah i am most inspired by the rebbe i if i want to be more human i would say i'm most inspired by my husband <laughs> because he has such clarity about what is holy and what is not um, and he has very, he's very sensitive. Like if I'll say something that if I, because I read so many books, sometimes I might accept as truth something that might be inconsistent with the Rebbe's message and with the Rebbe's voice. And my husband really is the voice inside my head that says, Sterni, stick to God, <laughs> stick to his truth. And just because something sounds true doesn't mean that it is. And just because somebody else doesn't believe this truth, truth doesn't change because people like it or don't like it. Truth is just truth. And um, that's, that's, he is that voice inside of my head that keeps me clear. Wow. Beautiful. You're blessed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
So do you have a, a favorite quote or a quote that you like? Yes. It's be the change you want to see in the world. Be the change you want to see. You yeah. want to see hope, strength, goodness, be that because we have it in us to be that. And you yeah. know, anything that's powerful could be used against you. So I find that many people who read my book and also listen to the Tanya, we're doing the Tanya series now. Um, you know, people who are, especially people who are sensitive, it's like, oh, now not only am I stuck with my misery and stress and resentment, now I'm an idiot because I don't have to be. Because you see, there's a way out. Other people are happy and other people are sensitive and they have, so now I'm a real loser and a real failure. So I just want to put this out there if you don't, if it's okay with you. Yeah, that, please. Any any time there's a powerful tool that could help you, your Yetzirah could easily also use it against you to, to make you feel more ashamed of yourself and more stuck in your inability. So never use any, please, I'm begging you not to use anything that was said here today as, some, as, as a judgment on yourself. Um, the changes that I'm talking about, ex- I, I experienced over a number of years not months, not weeks, not days, over a number of years. And the first step to that is taking 30 seconds to reflect on the awesomeness of who you are. Reflect on the value of the fact that you are a carrier of God's light. And just just reflect on that for 30 seconds every day and let your heart feel the joy and the value and the respectability that that brings and don't use it for judgment. And over time, you know, a little bit at a time, let in a little bit of light and and enjoy it. Great wow. way to thank great you. Way to end. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Jerry. Thank you. Thank you for this thank practical you, tool. Thank you for this practical tool you've given us to do a 30 seconds a day. I think that's great. I, we love to end with a practical tool. So a beautiful quote and a tool. So thank you. Okay. Yay. <laughs> Nice meeting you both. You too.